Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Uh, that came to me about a month ago with you. Dear Brian, you asked me to identify my arch enemy other than the enemy himself, so this is it. There isn't a day that goes by when I'm not in the battle I described to you. In my mind, I know what should be, what the Bible calls into existence, peace that goes beyond our understanding. I tell people about it all the time, but honestly, I am almost never there. My anxiety level has reached a critical point. It sounds funny, but I panic, and then I panic about panicking. I guess it's not funny. I worry about things I can't control relentlessly. I spend enormous amounts of energy convincing people that all is well when it is not. I'm faking it and not making it. I covet your prayers and look forward to our next conversation. That email was sent to me by the pastor of a fairly large church in the Midwest, and the battle he describes is one that some of you, some of us know fairly well. And this week, as we get to this next phase in our study of Philippians, that battle is brought to our doorstep. It's this tension between what the Bible promises and what God says and what we know to be true and what we're surrounded by every day. And you're well aware of what the world offers to us. In fact, it shouldn't surprise a single person in this room that we are often surrounded in a sea of anxiety all around us. Just some of the latest stats. This is from peer-reviewed stuff in the last year. One in five adults in the U.S. has some form of diagnosed anxiety disorder. One in three teens. This one, as a father of daughters, almost half of all adolescent girls in the United States have some form of anxiety disorder. Anxiety has doubled in the elderly in the past 10 years. But our Bibles aren't weak on this issue. And This week, as we execute the penultimate message in our Philippians series, we've arrived at chapter 4, and I'm going to focus on verses 4 through 7. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. 
anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this morning is about fighting back. And to do that, I'll invite the panel to come forward today. Uh, there's some information about each of our panel members um, in the Uversion app. If you use Uversion notes, you'll see uh, more about them. But when they come, I'll ask them to give a brief introduction. Uh, these are our experts on anxiety. They work with people with anxiety. They've dealt with it. They know the Lord dearly, and they know the Word dearly. And I'll just uh, so start with that. So welcome, panel. So would you just give us a brief introduction of yourself, even if you're well-known, uh, and say a little bit by way of introduction about your take on the fight with anxiety. We're going to get into it, so you don't need to say a lot, but tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself, and opening thoughts about anxiety, and especially this word, do not be anxious about anything. Margaret, since you're on your home turf, will you start? Sure. Well, my name is Margaret Michael. I'm a pastor. I oversee outreach here at the Harrisonburg campus, and I also lead a recovery program, Celebrate Recovery, and a 12-step program for anyone who has a hurt, hang-up, or habit. And obviously, um, folks that are dealing with anxiety are a part. Of course, all of us have anxiousness, right? Um, and so, what was the last of that question? It was just to say a little something about your take on anxiety. Yeah, I think there's a big difference between being anxious and having anxiety. And I'm not going to go into yeah, that. We'll get to that. Okay. It feels a little bit tentative if they don't remember the question I asked 45 seconds ago. I apologize. I'm, I'm a little anxious. Are you, a list of <laughs> Did you see what she did there? Did you see what Margaret did there? You didn't see what Margaret did there. You, if you had, you would appreciate it. Mark? I'm Mark Sensabaugh. I'm um, a counselor at Journey Counseling. Uh, I attend Grace Covenant Church. Um, and my thoughts about anxiety is I'm saddened that when some in the body of Christ really struggle with the pain of anxiety, that sometimes we can actually respond in ways that add to that weight. And that's a sad thing because we need to be standing and holding each other up. Good word. Let's make sure we don't do that. Ashley. Hi, I'm Ashley Link. Um, we normally worship with you in the East Rock campus, so it's really nice to be here this morning. Um, and I would say that I have anxiety right now. Like, I can feel my heart beating really, like, fast. And so I think it's a normal process that all of us encounter. It's just a matter of what we do about it. All right, let's start with um, what isn't the elephant in the room because it's so obvious. That Philippians text says... Do not be anxious about anything. Um, so we have to deal with that right off the top because that's one of those things that the Bible says. And we believe it because it's the Bible and we have certain things about the Bible's infallibility and inerrancy. But when we read it, we think, is that really possible? And so uh, not all three of you will have to answer any question, but this opening one I would like to have you address. That whole idea about not being anxious about anything that seems impossible. What do we do with that? So let's go the, you, can we go the other way, Ashley? Sure, so I think um, as we said, like it's 
perfectly common and normal for us to have anxious thoughts. Um, that could be whether we're getting ready to take a test or whether we're getting ready to do something new. Um, it's just a normal, it can be a typical part um, of who we are, but it's a matter of what do we do with those thoughts? Do we allow those thoughts to take over us or we, do we take them captive um, and take them to the Lord? Uh, the Greek uses tense language and in the Greek, that's a present active tense. So that passage might be more accurately um, described as don't let yourself be caught in a perpetual state of anxiety. So basically, fear will come. We have a choice of how we're going to respond to that fear. And it's suggesting that you weren't designed to live in a state of panic. You were designed to live in a state of peace. Margaret? Yeah, so in looking at the context of that scripture, they are facing persecution. Um, they, I mean, Paul's writing from prison, right? Like he is actually, um, they, they've seen that in their leader. And so for this word um, where if there wasn't the chance to be anxious, um, he wouldn't have said that. Um, this word actually comes up like seven times, I believe it's seven times in um, the Gospels um, in the New Testament. Uh, so anxiety, uh, being anxious is going to come. Um, and it's like um, Ashley said a few minutes ago, it's what we do with it. And he does actually go on to give us some ways that we can deal with that. But We have two goals with this panel. One is to glorify the Lord and edify his word. But the other is to think about the people in the congregation and these dear souls and how we can help them and help each other in this fight. So um, there's some sitting in the congregation, if the statistics are right, who deal with chronic anxiety. Um, it's almost daily experience, and it's troubling for them. Um, it's acute. Then there are some of us who deal with it intermittently. We wouldn't say we're anxious all the time, but when something happens in our life, it can come in a, a, a wave. So are there differences, and I'll start with Mark on this one, are there differences between those two types and should they be treated differently in terms of how we let the Lord minister to them? Chronic anxiety, daily struggles, and wave anxiety sometimes eases. Mark? I, when I think about anxiety, it's almost helpful to think about anxiety on a continuum. And so at one end of the continuum, I might put concern or worry. And concern is actually good, just as you were saying, Ashley. Uh, if when I was asked to speak, my first thought was, okay, am I going to have time to reflect, pray, prepare, because I have a pretty full caseload and I stay fairly busy myself. So that concern, a healthy worry, uh, motivated me to say, okay, I need to spend some time in preparation. So concern can actually motivate us to do things. So that might be at one end. Um, in the middle range, I might call, you know, worry might be on this end, kind of a mild anxiety or moderate anxiety might be that 
maybe I have a kind of a, a down look on life. Um, I might experience struggles to relax. Um, occasionally, I could even have something close to a panic attack. To me, that's kind of mid-range. The other end of the continuum is more severe anxiety, and we call it a disorder when it's debilitating to life. In other words, it's difficult even to do normal functions in life. So we might say that's more severe, that's more of a disorder, that's uh, our functioning is diminished. Um, often, many times with anxiety, it can link to depression. Some of the physical symptoms, we have increased heart rate, hyperventilation, sweating, trembling, panic attacks. Uh, and there are some on that end of the continuum, I would say, actually have something, there's a medical condition going on, something's going on in the brain that medication is needed for. So I, I would say there is a range and there are people all along that spectrum. Margaret, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Uh, I think that some anxiousness um, can actually be a good thing. Uh, because, for example, um, before I walk on the platform, um, I, I will have some anxiousness, um, whether we're called out. Like, think about what makes you anxious? A test? Um, what if I ask someone just, hey, could you pray for us right now? Or could you get up front and speak? There's all these things that will bring anxiousness that... It's not a surprise to any person. Like, it comes to all of us. And I say it's healthy because it reminds me that I can't do something on my own strength. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that's one side of it. To what Mark was talking about, um, a place where uh, we need to have people that can walk with us and help us and know that um, there is something that we have to ask for help. If my heart is having a problem, I may have to um, go to a heart doctor. And so those are the things that it's, a, there's a, a large um, pendulum swing from being anxious to having anxiety. Ashley, since you are particularly fond of spontaneous questions, um, I refer to the email I read from the pastor at the beginning. He refers to the whole idea of fake it till you make it. He says, I'm faking it and not making it. People read that Philippians text and say, well, I'm not supposed to be anxious for nothing. So I better look like I'm not anxious or people are going to think I'm in sin or people are going to think I'm not a Christian. Or So what do we do with this whole idea of putting on a show there has to be a continuing between f being fake and phony and constantly vomiting our souls onto everybody. Where's the balance? How do we know if we're faking it in unhealthy way? Like right now, I really don't want to share about my history with anxiety because I'd rather people pay attention to you. And so on some sense, I'm putting on something here so I can moderate a panel. What do you think about fake it till you make it? It only gets you so far. And unfortunately, it doesn't get you very far. Um, also been there in that situation myself and I think it's the challenge is finding someone or someones um, who you can trust um, to be able to share those 
emotions and thoughts with. Um, I work in my job a lot with parents and children who struggle in school, whether that's emotionally, behaviorally, or academically. And one of the main things I hear from parents a lot of times when I'm working with them is anxiety related to that. And I said, you know, what parent doesn't have a level of anxiety? Um, and so I think it's trying to normalize that, to not hide it, um, but to also find people that you can trust, whether that's a friend or a colleague or a pastor or someone, and just say, hey, I'm struggling right now, and how can you help me? Or I just need someone to listen and to validate where I am. A lot of times we're not looking for an answer. We're just looking for an outlet to be able to say, here, this is where I'm at, and to say, that's okay, and I hear you, and or I've been there in a different way. Mark, let me ask you two questions back to back. One is, yes, one is, how do you feel about fake it till you make it? The second one is, the first thing you said was, you feel sad about anxiety because of the way we as believers can sometimes treat it in others. So I'd like you to address fake it till you make it, and then talk about why we get it wrong, why you see us treating anxious folks like us badly. Two questions. I think I can answer those both with my one answer. That's impressive. Yeah. You've impressed the congregation <clears throat> this morning. I may dismiss them now. The banter that occurs here is 35 years of relationship. We've never met. Um, Go ahead. Fake um, it till you make it, and why do we treat anxiety poorly? Let me just give a personal story in my own life. Um, I was on a pastoral staff of a church. A best friend was on another pastoral staff. My car had broken down and I'm not a mechanic and couldn't find a mechanic at the moment that I trusted to work on my car. And about that time he reported to me that the men in his congregation were showing up and finishing out his unfinished basement and throwing in the labor and supplies. And my first emotion was a bit of a jealousy and self-pity. Why aren't the guys in my congregation showing up to repair my car? And I immediately, when I had those thoughts, right on the tail of that, my next thought was, how can you call yourself a Christian, much less a leader in your church? When are you gonna grow up and be a real Christian? You know, uh, <clears throat> real Christians celebrate when their brothers are getting blessed, and here you are having a pity party. Typically, I would suggest to you, feelings are not right, wrong, good, or bad. Feelings are flagging. Something needs attention. What we do with our feelings may be moral, but the feelings themselves are just flagging something. Typically, I would have judged myself and shut that emotion down and pushed it away. And I do remember in this particular experience, I got alone with God and I said, God, I'm feeling jealousy. I'm feeling self-pity. Um, and I don't like feeling those things. What would you say to me about that? So I positioned myself in a listening posture before God. And in that silence, the thing that he dropped in my heart was, this isn't about you and the other pastor. This is not about the men in his congregation and the men in your congregation. You're afraid. And you're afraid that when the rubber hits the road, I'm not going to come through for you. And when he said that, I realized, Lord, that is true. And maybe I've even unknowingly judged you as the God that will be there for everybody else, but you won't 
be there for me? And would you forgive me if I've unknowingly made a judgment of you because your word says you're Jehovah Jireh, you're my provider. Would you help me to know that part of you experientially? And if I've wrongly judged you and that stood in the way, would you forgive me and just open my eyes to see that part of your heart of who you say you are? Had I just shut that down, fake it as I make it, I would have missed the opportunity to grow and just lathered on a layer of guilt for what I felt. But that experience opened a doorway that helped me to realize I needed to hear from God. And when he dropped those things in my heart, it was a very honest expression of what I was feeling and him zeroing in on areas he wanted to transform in my heart. So I think when we judge our emotions, I shouldn't feel that, I should feel this, we miss the opportunity to examine with God, what is that flagging? And what do you wanna reveal or expose in me that needs to grow? Sounds like as a professional, you don't really like fake it till you make it. No. Okay. Margaret, um, the Philippians text does come with an antidote. Do not be anxious about anything, but in, every, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we've got a solution there. What do you think? Thanksgiving seems like a weird thing or word to put in there. What's the connection between gratitude, which we just sung about, and relief from anxiety or peace? My mind goes back to in the Old Testament when King Jehoshaphat is going out to battle. Now, he knew there was three armies that they were coming up against. They, you know, he said to his community, you know, we need to fast, pray, pray. The next day, they go out to battle. They have the worship choir in front of them. And as they went to battle, now I can imagine if I have one army and I'm going at three armies, I'm going to be anxious. But they worshipped. And something miraculous happened. When they got to the battlefield, all three of the other armies had turned on each other and had been annihilated. They were gone. There was no battle. And that is a picture for me in the physical that is happening today in the spiritual realm, where our thoughts of anxiousness um, coming into a situation, it's so easy to get focused on ourselves. And the more we focus, the more anxious, for me anyway, I can't say for anyone else. And then we know where that takes us. It's just a rabbit hole. But if we do like the worship choir did that went ahead of the army and we worship God, it takes our focus off of what we can do and onto what God can do for us. And that is for me the game changer because I am 
human at the core. And if I can believe that, um, God is going to come through for me. And I will just tell you my own story of what happened in a time where I had some pretty high anxiety. So it was back, new Christian, I joined the choir. And we were having choir practice. Under that balcony was the choir room back in the day. And Pastor Joe had this thing, he would say, if you um, are not in your chair, you may have to pray. Even when it's time for choir practice to start, you're not in your chair. And you know, I don't like to talk that much, but occasionally, I like to have a conversation with somebody. I was checking in on somebody, asking them about a family member, and he goes, well, Margaret, you're not in your chair. I guess you want to pray today. And I was like, oh, no. And all of a sudden, my chest got so heavy, I couldn't breathe. I prayed a word at a time as I'm going, <gasps> And I didn't know what was happening to me. I had no idea. So I'm telling a friend about it, and she goes, you had a panic attack. Like, really? And so, oh no, a couple months later, it happened again, same scenario. My friend was sitting beside me, and she looked at me, and she said, well, I thought she was my friend. She said, I hope you don't have a panic attack. <clears throat> Guess what? I did. It was a bad moment. but. I could have gotten focused in on that and never prayed again out loud. But I wonder where I'd be today. So only in Christ, um, as in relation to anxiousness, um, I'm not talking about a clinical anxiety. Um, it's taking our focus off of, you know, I can't do it. Um, but sometimes God has really good things for us planned and the enemy knows. And so we have to factor in there is a spiritual battle. We're going to close in a minute. Margaret's going to wrap us up. Um, I want to ask both of you, the final question will be, if somebody in the congregation is thinking, this is me. Nobody knows it, but this is how I deal with this. I'm going to ask you, what should they do? Ashley and Mark. But before I do that, Ashley, I want to ask you a question about young people. I was really floored uh, by this. One in three teenagers deals with some form of anxiety disorder, almost half adolescent girls, which as a father of daughters scares and shocks me. Is there a difference between the anxiety that young people are facing and adults? And if there is a difference, should we treat it differently? I think there's obviously different pressures that are on every age group, whether they're young children, um, even down to my three and a half year old um, toddler, right? Um, up through stages of life. And so I think they're different um, pressures. And I think hopefully as we learn or as we grow, we learn different ways of coping with them. Um, and so I think like for the young children and teenagers that I work with through school, it's teaching them, and the same for, true for adults, is coping skills. So what are different ways when you're feeling this way, how can we help you to manage that and or um, to think process differently? And so I, I think they're different, but certainly 
they're just as impactful for young kids and teenagers as they are for adults. Certainly their prefrontal cortex is not fully um, developed, so how they think and manage what they're thinking um, is not fully formed. And so to them, it's, it can be much more difficult to kind of tease out the um, social pressures of what they're dealing with and what they experience at school, but it is very real for them. Okay, I'll ask that last question. Mark, then Ashley, and then Margaret, you'll close. So someone in the congregation is thinking, this is me. I deal with anxiety. Maybe I didn't know it before, or maybe I've known it for years. What do I do? So Mark, you answer the question, then Ashley, and then we'll step off and Margaret will close. So I'm gonna to try to give a one minute lesson on the brain. The right prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that, that knows things experientially. The left prefrontal cortex is where your logic is. So when you memorize scripture, it's in your left prefrontal cortex. When we're anxious, the experiential brain moves center stage. When we're anxious, relational circuits in the brain cut off. So our ability to connect well with God or connect well with others is greatly limited until we're able to soothe or calm. And when we're able to soothe or calm, the left prefrontal cortex comes back online. So what I would say is um, your experiential brain, the amygdala, when you think something's threatening to you and you feel anxiety, the amygdala is stimulated and it immediately accesses your stored memory of experience, the part of the brain that knows things experientially, which our experiential brain may not line up with the Word of God because we maybe interpreted a lot of life through our own understanding outside of the knowledge of Scripture. So when you feel gratitude to God and you're feeling this connection with God, write a couple paragraphs of gratitude to God so that you have that for reference sake. Uh, worship, interestingly, Christians have a storehouse of resources available to you. Worship is actually located in that experiential brain. So when you come in here on Sunday morning and you're heavy with other things and you began to worship, it's almost like when your spirit engages, it's almost like something lifts inside of you. And I would say the anxiety you walked into the congregation with, when you worshiped, you soothed and calmed the brain that you're able to access the truth of Scripture. So it's almost like you can't wait until you're in an anxious situation to write that letter of gratitude. But if you have that letter of gratitude written, when you're in your anxious brain, if you can read the letter that was written from that relational connection place with God, it can actually soothe or calm the heart that you can access your knowledge of scripture, that Holy Spirit can bring those things to the forefront. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, I think finding, like you said, finding ways to express um, gratefulness and gratitude. When Pastor Margaret was talking about um, just that whole worship piece and just finding joy. One of the things I love about Brene Brown, we've done some of, you've heard about her sympathy versus empathy take and her most vulnerable emotion that she studied over years is joy. And I think the reason that is, is because we're always wondering what if I'm supposed to go on vacation or I'm supposed to do this, but what if I can't? And so you're robbing yourself of tr finding true joy. And so when we're able to take those thoughts captive and turn them into different ways through worships of song, I just, when we were worshiping this morning, like it was just all hitting home because it's just the words are just 
perfect um, for what we encounter and experience and we're going to talk about today. And so what I love about this um, scripture, verse 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that is an antidote for me. Amen. Um, Margaret's going to close. The worship team's going to come. Could we thank the panel? I know they've helped. Just in closing, I had an aha. I've never had this thought before. Uh, but in reading scripture um, and thinking about Jesus, you know, a man that was never tempted, our Savior, our Lord, um, came to this earth. And he is my role model, right? I can look to him. And I, I was like, I had this thought, I'm like, Did, was Jesus ever anxious and I was like in the garden Jesus actually had a form of anxiety where he actually sweated blood just out of his body which is a medical condition that a few people have actually had but can you imagine that being so much anguish about something that was going to happen to you and you know what he did he asked the disciples to pray for him don't fall asleep he had to wake them up have you ever had a friend that was letting you down <laughs> wasn't there for you Jesus knows how you feel they didn't totally understand what was happening and he said father if you are willing remove this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done and so as we as we face things we have a model we know that we have to make those requests known to God that's what Jesus did and the other thought I had this morning as we were worshiping was we all have a, a weak plank in our life. It's that thing that we, without Christ, will fall to very easily. And things that we struggle throughout our life that Paul called the thorn in our flesh.
walked through hard times. He even asked for God to take things away. But then he surrendered. And so, Father, I pray over every person today um, in watching here online in the room. Uh, Father, I just ask that today we would know that you see us and that you know where we are and that you care, that you are compassionate. Father, help us to find a safe place to get these things out of our mind and uh, speak them into the light of another believer so that as in First Peter 2 where the devil Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.